Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. How many of you have your Bible with you tonight? Would you hold it up in the air just a second? You have a copy of the Word of God? Very good. If you don't, get down next to somebody that does, would you please? Because I want you to follow along. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture tonight. In one of the most exciting books in this book, and that is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So open your Bible with me to the end of your New Testament. We began this Lord's Day at the beginning of the New Testament in the Gospel records, and we're going to end in Revelation. So you can tell people this week the preacher preached the whole New Testament, all right? And like bookends on the New Testament Scriptures, we find this mention of Jesus Christ as the Lamb, When the Old Testament opens, we see Adam and Eve uh, sinning against God and then trying to cover their nakedness with a bunch of fig leaves. It sounds comical, but it's tragic. Imagine thinking that you could find some way to cover your sin so God wouldn't know it. And then, then they go find a fig tree and they stand behind the tree thinking maybe the creator can't see through the tree. May I just remind you that God sees and knows everything. And so the voice of the Lord God comes walking through the garden in the cool of the day. Adam, Adam, where art thou? God wasn't looking for information. He was looking for confession. And when finally the confession had been made, God did what only God could do. God took an innocent animal and put it to death. Can you imagine the creator taking something that he had created and slaughtering it? That's exactly what he did. I wouldn't argue with you about it. I really wouldn't debate it. But my own conviction is it was a lamb. I say that because the Bible says that God made for Adam and Eve coats of skins to cover their nakedness. And then from that point forward, all through the Old and New Testament, it's the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb that is always the great symbol of the Lamb of God that was to come and take away the sins of the world. Can you imagine the conversation that Adam and Eve had to have with their boys? You parents know what I'm talking about. Kids have lots of questions. Dad, where'd you get that coat? Mother, why do you wear that all the time? Boys, we didn't always wear this. There was a day we were clothed with God's beauty and holiness. And we sinned. And God took an innocent lamb and put it to death and shed its blood And made these coats for us. Boys, don't ever forget this. That apart from God, we are naked and we are ashamed in our sin. And only God can make a covering for that. Two boys grew up hearing that story. One of them got it and one of them didn't. 
The one that didn't get it, he thought his best, what he could produce in the garden would be good enough to satisfy God. But there was a boy, you know his name, his name is Abel. What did he do? The Bible says, Genesis chapter 4, he brought the firstlings of the flock. What does that mean? It means, look please, he did exactly before Almighty God what God had done for his parents. He put an innocent animal to death and shed its blood and made a sacrifice because he understood that only through the shedding of blood could there be remission of sins. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so from the opening pages of Holy Scripture, it was a lamb, and it was the blood of the lamb that brought redemption and salvation. And then, like a crimson cord woven through the pages of Holy Scripture, this is the story of redemption from start to finish. It was the lamb in the garden for Adam and Eve. It was the lamb on Mount Moriah for Abraham and Isaac. It was the lamb for the children of Israel in Egypt at the Passover night. It was the lamb for the nation of Israel. For 1,600 years, they lived in anticipation of the lamb that was to come. And then, blessed be God for the day that John the Baptist lifted his eyes and then lifted his voice and said... Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And just like that, Jesus Christ stepped onto the page of human history. And not a lamb, God's lamb had come. And when the New Testament opens, we see the lamb in Bethlehem revealed to a bunch of shepherds. Aren't you glad God loves shepherds too? Think of this. He is both lamb and shepherd at the same time. You read your Bible, it seems he had a special affinity for shepherds. The patriarchs were shepherds, and, and David was a shepherd boy, and Moses kept a flock on the backside of the desert of Midian for 40 years. And when Jesus came, what did he say? I am the good shepherd that giveth his life for the sheep. And so right there in Bethlehem, lamb and good shepherd show up. And then you fast forward through all of that and you come to the end of your Bible. And this is amazing to me. Don't, don't you get in awe sometimes of the Word of God and how it's all connected? When you come to the Revelation, you know how God reveals His Son? As the Lamb. No, no, not once. Dozens of times. It would seem to me, by the time you get to the end of the story, to the climax of the revelation, by the time you get to him on the throne, he wouldn't be referred to as a lamb, and yet he is constantly and consistently referred to as a lamb. Why is that? As a constant reminder to us that only through Jesus Christ is there redemption of sins. And so we look at Revelation chapter 5. Follow along with the story, would you please? The curtain lifts. John is in heaven. Verse 1, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man, don't miss that, no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. You know what book this is? God's got a lot of books. Look up here just a minute. You know what this is? This is God's book. Aren't you glad we have God's book tonight? 
And there's the Lamb's Book of Life where the names of all that know Christ are recorded. I hope your name is recorded there. There are books of records that will be opened someday uh, that we will have read at the judgment when we stand before the Lord. But this book is not just any book. You know what this book is? This book is the title deed to the universe. And no man is worthy to claim the title deed. Verse 5, and one of the elders saith unto me, weep not. (laughs) I love that. John's over there crying. Look at him crying. The beloved apostle, the tender apostle, weeping. And one of the elders said, stop your crying. Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. He said, it's wonderful. Look, no man is able to do it, but the God man is because he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And just that quickly, verse 6, I beheld. And lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Stood a what? One more time. Stood a what? Now, wait a minute. In verse number 5, what is he called? He is the lion. But in verse number 6, he is the what? He is the lamb. Which is he? Is he he lion or is he lamb? Yes. He's all the above. We see the strength and might of the lion. Not that devouring lion of Satan. No, no. He's getting ready to get shut up. This is the lion of the tribe of Judah we're talking about here. But he who is the lion, blessed be the name of Jesus, is also the lamb. Oh, the meekness and gentleness of Jesus Christ. Oh, the tenderness of the mighty one who is so great and grand and glorious, he can hold the universe in the palm of his hand and say, that belongs to me. And yet so loving and kind and personal, he would stoop to us. The lion is the lamb. And keep reading, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. So let's begin here. Would you make a list? I want you to make a list of these little snapshots we get of the Lamb. They're scattered all through the revelation of Jesus Christ, almost like the Lord wants us to remember this. So get it in your thinking. Here, here's the Lamb. We began the Lord's Day by looking at the Lamb in Bethlehem. How many remember the Lamb in Bethlehem? Yes? Well, tonight it's the Lamb in glory. What do we see about the lamb in glory? Number one, would you write this down somewhere? We see, first of all, the lamb slain. It's interesting and very significant that the first picture we get of the lamb of God in the revelation of Jesus Christ, it is a reference to his redemptive work. He's taking us back in time to the cross. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He is no longer on the cross. When I see people who have their crucifix and they have some image of of the Son of God on the cross, it bothers me greatly. And I'm going to tell you why it bothers me greatly. Because Jesus is not on the cross any longer. He came off that cross, was buried, and three days later, he got out of that grave and is alive forevermore. He is not on the cross He's not perpetually dying, my friend. I tell you that when Jesus said it is finished, he set in motion the redemptive work in humanity, and the effect of the cross continues, but Jesus Christ is no longer dead. We serve a living Savior. 
Please don't miss it. Look at verse number six. The Bible says, stood a lamb as it had been slain. Do you see the past tense? Mark it in your Bible. He had been slain, but he's not slain now. May I ask you a question? Why even talk about him being slain if he's alive? This is very important. Because remember, John is looking at the resurrected Son of God, and do you know what he sees? He sees the scars of his suffering. Do you understand that when you get to heaven and earth recedes and time is no more, there will still be one thing from time, one thing originating on earth that will be seen in heaven. Do you know what it is? It's the prince in his hands and in his feet. Oh, Thomas, you don't believe? All right, then put your finger into the prince of the nails. Thrust your hand into the sword or the spear-driven side. Look, look at the thorn-crowned brow of the lovely Son of God. Do you understand that even in glory we shall see the marks of his suffering? And every time we see the marks, we will be eternally reminded that he was slain so that we could be saved. That all of that was done so that we could enjoy all of glory with him. Don't ever forget that the lamb was the slain lamb. Put to death and blood shed for the remission of sins. And look at it very carefully. The Bible says, this is important, that he is standing. Would you please look at his posture? He's not lying down. He's not on a cross. He's not even seated at this moment. I love this thought. He is standing. May I I just tell you, he's alive forevermore, and he's in charge of everything going on in glory. He is the standing lamb. He is upright. They could kill him, and they could throw his body in a grave somewhere, but praise God, he stood up again, and he is standing now. And look at his place. The Bible says he's in the midst of two things. It's very important. Would you mark it? In verse 6, he's in the midst of the throne, and he's in the midst of the elders. Why, Why say both of those? In the midst of the throne and in the midst of the elders. Watch. The throne connects him to the Father, and the elders connects him to us. Where is he at this moment? Look, please. He's in the midst of the throne because that is his rightful place as God Almighty. He is seated there with the Heavenly Father at this moment. But blessed be Jesus, the 12 elders, the 24 elders rather than the revelation are a picture of the church where is he he's not just connected to the father he is connected to me and to you his rightful place is the throne but his chosen place is that he wants to be with us and he wants us to be with him son of god oh yes but son of man lion oh yes but lamb he is the lamb slain And immediately, there must be some response to that kind of revelation and redemption. So look at verse 8. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the what? Lamb. Having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 
thousand and thousands of thousands. By the way, you're in that number. Don't you love to find yourself in the Bible? And we're going to be right there, and we're going to sing, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And so we come to the second picture of the Lamb. The first is the Lamb slain. The second is the Lamb worshipped. And I say to you that the right response of all people should be worship. And for the record, you're either going to worship now or you're going to worship later, but you're going to worship. Because every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you can love the Lamb now or fear the Lamb later, but you're going to know the Lamb one way or the other. And we get a little glimpse here of heaven's worship service. Look at, look at the worship service. I've marked in my Bible the three times here where the Lamb is mentioned. Would you circle them? We have the Lamb in verse 8, the Lamb in verse 12, and the Lamb in verse 13. And each time tells us something about the worship of the Lamb. In verse number 8, the Bible said they fell down before the Lamb. This is, this is how they worshiped. They worshiped on their face. Remember now, he's standing, he's standing, they're kneeling. By the way, that's the posture that most represents what God is worthy of and what we are worthy of. The Lord Jesus standing, and wait a minute, if he's standing and we're kneeling at his feet, guess what we're looking at? We're looking at the nail-pierced feet of the Lamb. How are we worshiping? We're worshiping humbly. And not only that, we're worshiping with everything we have. Look at verse number 8. With our harps and our, our golden vials and our prayers. In other words, all that we have and all that we are, everything in our hearts and everything in our hands is being given to Jesus because he is the one that is worthy of worship. Come down to verse number 12 because this tells us why they worship. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. In fact, the word worship comes from that word worthy, worth-ship, worthy-ship. Look, what is he worthy of? How do you value the sweet Son of God? What does Jesus mean to you? Why is it, pray tell me, that we say Jesus means so much to us and we give him so little worship? We're going to be ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ when we finally get in that worship service and we've had so little practice on this side. I tell you, he is not only worthy of being worshipped then, he is worthy of being worshipped now. Jesus is worthy because he's the Lamb of God. Well, then look at verse number 13. This tells us how long they worship. How long, church? Forever and ever. I don't know everything's going to happen in, in the new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth. I think it's going to be much more than you think. I hear pre preachers sometimes say, when you get to heaven, you'll know everything the minute you get there. I don't believe that. That's not what the Bible teaches. It says we'll know even as we're known. Can you imagine how boring it'd be to get to heaven and know everything the second you get there? No, you're going to spend eternity going deeper and deeper, in the words of the hymn writer, into the love of God. And his servants are going to serve him there. I, I suggest to you that this is just a little taste of what gets a whole lot better on the other side. I have not seen, ear hath not heard, it hath not entered in the heart of men the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. The greatest adventure of all will be the adventure of eternity. But I know one thing we're going to do, we're going to worship. And we're going to worship him forever and forever. 
And so what? look, follow me now, follow me now. You have the lamb slain, you have the lamb worshipped, and then immediately there's a shift. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. And I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, the one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And chapter 6, verse 1, sets in motion the judgment of God on this earth. Would you write down the third picture? You have the lamb judging. You see, he who at this moment sits on the mercy seat at some point gets up off the mercy seat and sits down on the judgment seat because he who is full of love is also full of holy justice and righteous indignation. And suddenly heaven's wrath gets poured out on the planet. In fact, beginning in chapter 6, you have the tribulation judgments on earth. Look, friends, you think it's bad now. You haven't seen anything like what hell is going to unleash on this planet for seven years. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when the restraining work of the Holy Spirit is removed and the salt and light of the church is gone? Can you imagine what it's going to be like when the dam breaks and the flood tide of iniquity is let loose and Satan and all the hounds of hell are allowed to do their worst on this planet? I tell you, that will be the mighty judgment of God. But please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. The judgment is not from Satan. It is from the Lamb. The lamb who holds back judgment is also the lamb who releases the judgment of God on this earth. Walk with me just for a minute. Come to chapter 14. Here's the middle of the, the tribulation age. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. 144,000 Jews that are saved, and they're preaching the good news of the lamb. Verse number 4, these are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the lamb. And when you come to verse 9, and 10, those that rejected the Lamb, the Bible says they'll be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. You've got two extremes here. It depends on your relationship to the Lamb. Look, if you love the Lamb and follow the Lamb, you belong to the Lamb. You don't tremble at Him. You adore Him. You want to be with Him. But if you reject the Lamb, you tremble at His presence because He is bringing the judgment of Almighty God upon you. The, ju the Lamb is judging. Before we go further, would you just look across the page to chapter 13 for a second? Look at verse number 8 of chapter 13. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Peter quoted that, that same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. How many of you know you've had your sins washed in the blood of the lamb? Would you raise your hand? Aren't you glad you know who the lamb is? I want you to know there are two groups of people. There are those who know the Lamb and those who don't. There are those who have been washed and they're clean and those who are not. I wonder, which, which group are you in? How about your family? On that Passover night, they had to get all the family in the house and they had to get the blood on the door. You got any family not in the house yet, friends? You got any people you love, anybody you work with that's not ready for the coming of the Lamb of God? I tell you now, point them to the Lamb of God. Get the gospel out and get the sinners in because very soon the Lamb is coming in judgment. Turn a page and look at chapter 15, verse number 3. Those who are saved in this period begin singing, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the what? Isn't that interesting? 
There's two verses to this song, Brother Sammy. There's the song of Moses, and there's the song of the Lamb. And I started thinking about that. I wonder why Moses shows up in Revelation. That's a good question. Seems to me the Pentateuch's a long ways removed from the revelation of Jesus Christ. So why the song of Moses and of the Lamb? Do you see here the Old Testament and the New Testament intersecting in the person of Jesus Christ? And what was Moses' song? Oh, I love this. What was Moses' song? It was a song of praise and worship for the God who had delivered them because of the Passover Lamb. And what's the song of the Lamb? It is the song of praise and worship that God has delivered us because of the perfect Lamb. Look please. He will be exalted and all will have to believe he's the lamb of God on that day. How complete will the lamb's victory be? Turn a page and look at chapter 17 and verse 14. These shall make war with the lamb. I love this. Hallelujah. And the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Oh, I love this. The Lamb is the Lord. And I tell you on the authority of the Word of God, someday every president, every prime minister, every senator and congressman, every wicked blasphemer in Hollywood, every dictator, everybody that thought they were somebody, they're going to be on their knees at the feet of the Lamb, and they're going to have to acknowledge that the Lamb is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And so we have the Lamb slain and the Lamb worshiped and the Lamb judging And then come with me to chapter 19 and see the lamb rejoicing. Aren't you glad it doesn't end on a sour note? No, it ends on a glad note. Look at chapter 19. Here's here's one happy lamb. Are you ready? You know when the lamb of God's going to be happy? The lamb is going to be rejoicing when all the rest of the flock are gathered to him. And that's what you find in Revelation 19. Look at verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice. And give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. Who's the wife? Would you like to guess who the wife is? The church. We're the bride of Christ. You know what's fascinating, though? Though the church is called the bride in this passage, Christ is never called the groom. He is always called the Lamb. Because it is constantly a reminder that the only reason you're in this love covenant relationship is because of his sacrifice. Look at verse 8, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Aren't you glad? There's a wedding garment you're going to receive someday. And as much as I'd like to talk to you about the bride, please look at the groom. Matter of fact, how many of you remember your wedding day? How many of you married people remember your wedding day? Would you raise your hand? Now, if you're married, you better get your hand up in the air. My wife and I got married on Friday the 13th. That was the luckiest Friday the 13th of my life, let me tell you. And I still remember when the back doors opened and they started playing, and here she came. And what does everybody say? Here comes the what? Bride. Well, I want you to know when you come to Revelation, it's not here comes the bride, it's here comes the groom. All eyes are on the groom. Would you look at him, please? Verse number 9, he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Would you do something? In verse 7, would you mark the marriage of the Lamb? And in verse 9, would you mark the marriage supper of the Lamb? There's a rejoicing at the marriage because now we come together and we are one with him. Isn't it going to be a glad day, happy day, happy day when all the sins are wiped away? 
What a day it will be when the devil is gone and our flesh is out of the way and this old world is no more and it's just us and Jesus. Jesus, John 17, is going to get his prayer answered and we are going to be one with him at the marriage. But watch, please, we move from the marriage to the marriage supper. When people get married out here, do they have a big meal? How many of you say, do they have a big meal? Back home, they don't really do that. It's like finger foods and hors d'oeuvres and cake and that kind of thing. But I married a Yankee girl. The Lord forgave me for that and sanctified her. But I married a girl from Michigan, and they have a big deal up there. And when you get married up there, they have a big supper. And it was quite a spread, let me tell you. But I want you to know you've never seen a table spread like the table Jesus is going to prepare for us. Do you know what the marriage supper is? If the marriage is oneness with Christ, the marriage supper is the abundant supply of every good thing Jesus has prepared for us. I'm going to tell you, church, we got an awful lot to look forward to. Oh, Dr. Robertson used to say, two men behind prison bars, one looked at the mud, the other the stars. Get your eyes out of the mud and lift up your eyes. Your redemption draweth nigh. Very soon, we're going to be with Jesus. And so we see the lamb rejoicing. And then we come to the end of our Bible, literally. And we get one final picture of the lamb. Would you write it down? It's the lamb reigning ruling and reigning for everything. Literally, the lamb at his house. Would you like to go home with the lamb? You're going to. Oh, yeah, you're going to the lamb's house. You're going to live there forever. Look at the lamb at home. Would you look at Revelation chapter 21? Notice what the Bible says beginning in verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the would you mark it? Revelation 21, 14. He's the foundation stone of the wall of the city. Look at verse 22. I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. He's the temple. Look at verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. I got up this morning. Woke up pretty early because my body was on a different time zone. Pulled back the shades just in time to see the first little ray of the sun popping over the horizon. Oh, it was glorious. What a, what a beautiful thought. Friends, I want you to know this night's going to pass, and very soon a new day is going to dawn, and the day star is going to arise, the, the sun of the living God, and we're going to live with him in perfect light forever and ever because the Lamb is the light there. Look at verse 27. There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, either whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in whose book, please? The Lamb's book of life. It's a blood-stained book, you see. Look at verse 1. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And you see, he's on the throne, and every good thing is flowing out of the Lamb. I want to tell you something. I'm going to just tell you right now that when Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was pierced for us, he opened heaven's gate so that every good thing could flow to us. And he who gives also guards, he who provides also protects. Because look at verse 3, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Look at this list. Look at Revelation 21 and 22. He's everything. He's the foundation. He's the temple. He's the light. He's the record keeper. He's the one on the throne. I tell you, it is all and forever about the Lamb of God. And surely as John the Baptist 
began our New Testament saying, Behold the Lamb. John the Revelator closes it. May I summarize what he says in the whole book of Revelation? Behold the Lamb. And shortly, dear ones, we shall behold him forever. A young boy named Charles stumbled into a old Methodist chapel in England one blustery winter Sunday morning. The weather was so bad, the preacher didn't even make it. And a deacon was there, about a dozen people in a big, big old auditorium. Charles found a seat up in the mezzanine and sat up there by himself. And the deacon came up and read a text from Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And the deacon was a good man, but he really wasn't much of a speaker. And he stumbled and bumbled his way through a few minutes of a little sermon. And then he caught the eye of the young man sitting in the mezzanine. And he stopped his whole sermon and preached to one boy. And he said, young man, young man, you look miserable. And you always will be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death. Look to Jesus and be saved. And that young boy whose name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon said at that moment, I looked And I could have looked my eyes away, he said. I tell you, when you get a glimpse of the loveliness of Christ and the beauty of the Lamb, it changes you forever. We'll behold him. Oh, yes, we will. We're going to have a grand meeting. Look, I don't know if I'll ever get to be back at this church. We're we're hoping to be back, but that may never happen. But it's all right. We'll all be together in another meeting here shortly. And what shall we do? We shall just look at him. And behold him forever and ever. And I have good news for you. You don't have to wait till you die or Jesus comes to behold him. You can behold him now. Behold afresh the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.